This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Verse 45. Who then is faithful and why servant? Whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. For surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant saying in his heart, in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and beginning to beat his fellow servant, and eat and to eat and drink with the drunkard. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him into two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrite, that shall be weeping and gashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of the heavens shall be likened to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them was wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish, to, <laughs> foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wide answer saying, No less, there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, or surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne in the name of Jesus. Lord, looking to you once again to enable us to receive, Lord, from you today. Lord, we're thankful for Christian fellowship and for the ministry of the Word, all of the things that you've blessed us with. Lord, most of all, um, we're thankful for fellowship with you and desire that you enable us to draw even closer. Lord, use your Word to sanctify us, to set us apart from the world and Unto Yourself. Change us. So that we continually look more and more like our Savior. Lord, I ask that You enable me to deliver the message You would have delivered here. And I pray that You open all of our ears to hear. To receive Your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen can be seated. Amen. 
Last Sunday, we very, in fact, if you were here um, Sunday night, everything we did pretty much was very quickly, but uh, <laughs> we very quickly touched on verses 45 through 51, but I, I wanted to get them in the, con, in, in this, the same uh, consideration here with the, with the ten, parable of the ten versions, because really all this is tied together. Remember, we're, we're coming out of um, Jesus in various encounters with the Jewish leaders and unbelievers and his indictments against them, their hypocrisy being revealed. And I, I, again, I want to stress that I, all of that is, is, is uh, still the context here, I think still on Jesus' mind. Um, he's, he is still talking about the kingdom and the end. So, for example, again, last week, you remember we, we went through chapter 24 and the questions that are raised there um, by the disciples. Um, Jesus showed them the, the uh, various buildings of the temple and... The question was asked, um, when will these things be? The destruction of the temple, which Jesus prophesied, 24 verse 2. When will these things be? Meaning the destruction of the temple. And then they asked, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Um, so, so we discussed a lot of that last week. Again, the, the setting, like I'm mentioning here, we, we, we pretty much dealt with Sunday morning. And then Sunday evening, we got into some of the particulars of uh, Jesus' response. Um, I, what I tried to do was uh, stress some things that we can know for sure from that chapter and point out some other things that, that um, there may be some question about or some, some different views of. But nevertheless, uh, we, we looked at and, and considered uh, different options there. But he still has all that in mind as he's speaking here. So I, I want to, uh, once again, kind of stress that the main point that I think Jesus is making here is to be ready for his coming. Or we might say it this way in light of all of his discussions with the, with the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers. Be real and be ready. As, as a matter of fact, uh, I think that's how he's going to define being ready. Uh, it, does, it doesn't mean, as we'll, we'll see as we go through here, it doesn't mean that we need to uh, be in some particular geographic position, you know, like sell all of our goods and go to the top of a mountain somewhere. That's not what he means by be ready. But he's talking about our, our uh, for lack of a better term here, uh, our religion which is a good term. It's just a lot of times we use it with a bad connotation. But in other words, is our Christianity genuine? Is our relationship with Christ real, living? So it has more to do with that and our relationships with other people. That's, that's what he's meaning, I think, here by be ready. In other words, are we really loving Christ? Are we really looking for His return? And how does that show in our lives? Are we, are we living a man-centered, me-centered kind of religion of the Pharisees, like the Pharisees? Or are we all about the Father's business, living for the glory of God and the spiritual welfare of one another? So let me go back again to verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 25, and let's start there and We'll um, 
Well, there's a lot, lot to do here. So let's, in fact, let me point this out real quick. Verse 42, and notice these exhortations. Verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And, and you're going to see that again, uh, chapter 25, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 44, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So that's what he's driving home here. Watch in, in the sense of, of be looking, you know, be alert, be looking, be ready, be doing what you're supposed to do. Be ready again, verse 44, and again, 25, 13. Watch, he uses that word again. Why? Because you don't know the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, he's saying, the Son of Man is definitely coming, but you don't know the precise time. And, and uh, it's interesting, too, I, I think if you, if you try to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, that Jesus is also, I believe, emphasizing the delay here. Now, that's easy for us to understand, because here we are 2,000 years after He said this. And so, so you know, we, we've got that. We know it's not, it's not going to happen in 30 days or 20 years or 50 years. It's already been 2,000 years. So it's at least 2,000 years looking out. But I don't think they were thinking that way at all. And I think they're, they're expecting something really, really soon, like in days, months, something like that. And yet Jesus, um, in His instruction here and in His, in his parable, uh, seems to uh, insert that truth that this is going to there's going to be a delay, so be ready. Which I, I think again um, harmonizes with what he says back in chapter 24: "Those that endure to the end shall be saved." So this is not going to happen in 24 hours or in 10 days for the disciples or something like that. It's going to be lengthy. There's going to be a long delay, and those that endure to the end shall be saved. Okay, verse 45, chapter 24, verse 45. Let's start there. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Now, here Jesus is giving some illustration to show what he's talking about. He says, be ready. In fact, immediately before this, in verse 44, as we just read, therefore you also be ready. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So it's like you're, you're sitting there on go, you're on the edge of the seat, you got your... Arms on the, on the arms of the chair, ready to get up, right? Be ready. Be ready to go, Jesus says. Now, he gives this illustration. He begins to talk about what it means to be ready. We're not going to cover all of that this morning or even tonight because he's talking about it all the way through the 25th chapter. And I don't think we're going to cover all that today. Don't plan on it. Um, but, but he goes on to expound on that. So verse 45, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household? To give them food and due season. So he's going to begin to tell us what a faithful and wise servant looks like. Now, the word servant there um, is better translated slave. So that's probably a good place to start. We are slaves of Christ. So when Jesus tells us to do something, He's, he's really meaning for us to submit to His authority, His lordship, His leadership, His instruction, and do it. 
Because we're slaves. I love one of the first songs, um, old hymns, just as an old hymn, but one of the first songs that I remember kind of, uh, clinging to, I guess, after I was saved. I, you know, I was, I was familiar with a lot of the old hymns. I just, you know, they didn't, now, now they had new light was shed on them. They had meaning to me. And one of, one of the ones that I really liked uh, and began to, to sing, uh, uh, quite a bit was what a friend we have in Jesus, and it's precious to me to this day, and it's a great truth. Uh, but at the same time, we must not forget that He is Master, and we are slaves. Right? Yes, our Master is our friend, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you know you and I may have a, a great friendship, and there's there's kind of a mutual. Um, Let's just say an equality there. That's usually the case, as should be among human beings. It's not so with us and the Lord. He's, he's our master. We're His slave. So He's addressing us, His slaves, slaves of Christ. And that's a great position to be in. It's not, uh, uh, it's, it's, well, as Jesus said, it's not a, it's not a heavy burden, a heavy yoke. Uh, it, is, it is where the only true rest is. So we're slaves. So that's important. When we think about um, living the Christian life, it's a life of obedience. It's, it's a life of service in the sense of doing what He said. Now, we're not serving Him in the sense of providing something He needs. It's not that kind of service. But we're serving Him in the sense that we live in obedience to Him. That's what it means to be faithful. That's what it means to, to have faith. You, you are brought into submission to Jesus Christ so that He's now Lord of your life and He calls the shots. So who then is a faithful and wise servant that is prudent, intelligent, Wise. Who is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household? Now, notice here that in this description, the master gives the slave something to do. Now, again, that's, that's key because what we're talking about here is being faithful, right? Faithful stewards. We're talking about a stewardship that we're entrusted with. He says, do something. And then he's, he's going to say that a faithful and wise servant is one who does it. Now, I want to make the point up front that, I, again, I, I think he's, he's drawing a contrast here um, between those who really know him and love him and those who do not. When you, when you get to the end of this illustration... In verse 51, uh, talking about the wicked servant, slave, he says he will be, he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Okay? So that's, that's why I say I think he's still got these uh, recent confrontations with the Jewish leaders and the unbelievers. I think he still has that in view. He repeatedly called them hypocrites in um, chapter 23. And remember, that's just simply defined as pretenders. That is their, their whole religion. It wasn't a heart matter. It was all outward. They were pretending to be godly when in truth they were not. Now, I think that's the contrast that Jesus is 
making here. I don't think he's talking about, um, you know, pretty good Christians over here versus those that aren't so good. I think he's saying there's a real difference in those who know him, love him, serve him, wait for him, and those who don't. Same difference in those who are genuine and those who are pretenders. So he's entrusted us with a stewardship. The faithful servant um, is given something to do. He's, he's put over, verse 45 says, he's put over his household, that is the slave. The slave is put over his household to give them food in season. Or, uh, you know, at the, at the appointed time, at the correct time. So he's entrusted his slave with his household. And the, the writer of Hebrews says that Moses was, was faithful. And that's what we're looking for here. Faithfulness in our stewardship over the Lord's household. Moses was faithful over the Lord's household. Jesus was faithful over His own household. It's His house, right? <laughs> he's, he's the builder. And He's the ultimate. He's the epitome of faithfulness, he did the Father's will perfectly. He said, I always do those things that please the Father. So he's, he's our example. He's our standard. He's, he's the ultimate faithful and wise servant. But again, he's given his slaves, that's us, a stewardship. That is, he's, in, he's entrusted, with, entrusted us with something. We are entrusted with something valuable. That's what, a, that's what a steward is, a household steward. We're entrusted with something that he values. And in this case, it's his household, and he says we've been given the responsibility, in his illustration, the slave has been given the responsibility to feed his household in due season or at the right time. Now, he says, blessed is that slave whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So, uh, the, the slave says here, uh, or the master rather, says here to the slave, do this, feed my household. And then he goes away for a period of time. And Jesus says, that slave that is doing what he was told to do when the master returns is blessed. We talked a lot about that word blessed when we were going through the Beatitudes, obviously. Um, and literally, it just means happy. But, you know, it carries the idea of, of favored. So, fa- favored is that servant. And happy, happiness cer- certainly applies here too. Because you, you, if you come back, if the Lord comes back and He is pleased, certainly that makes us happy, right? So, happy... More than that, favored, favored is that slave whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. That is, doing what he has entrusted him to do. Now, what has he entrusted us to do? Well, in in his uh, analogy here, his parable here, um, he's entrusted the slave with his household to take care of them, to feed them. That's a great illustration of what we're entrusted with. The church, the people of God, the household of God, Paul calls us in Timothy. 
the household of God. That's our responsibility, to care for the household of God. In other words, to love one another, to care for one another. Jesus has given us that stewardship. Paul, in fact, the word steward there, Paul uses um, frequently, um, talks about himself as being a steward um, over the mysteries of God. It's another thing we could say. We, we've been entrusted with the truth of God, the gospel. So Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And he goes on to say in verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Paul says God's entrusted us with the mysteries, mysteries of God, His, His truth, and it's required that we be found faithful. Paul says of an overseer of a New Testament church in Titus 1.7 that he must be um, blameless as a steward of God. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. It's interesting how he fleshes that out, isn't it? In other words, if you're a good steward of God, um, you're not self-willed. You're not quick-tempered. So, I mean, a lot of these things have are relational, right? You're not living selfishly. In... 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, that's where he mentions being good, uh, being stewards of the mysteries of God, um, truth of God. So we're, we're entrusted with God's truth, and we're entrusted with His household. Um, in, the, in the parable that Jesus uses to feed them at the proper time. So there's... there's Care for one another that we're to have, right? Encourage one another. We're talking about that in, in Sunday school. Look after one another. We're to treat God's household, that is, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as a treasure that God has entrusted us with and given us stewardship over. As, as His slaves, he's, he's given us that responsibility. We're to treat His Word, His truth, as a treasure the mysteries of God, so that we don't mishandle them, but so that we faithfully proclaim His Word, so that we, um, by God's grace, are determined to faithfully live out the truth that God has given us here. It's all part of being a faithful and a wise servant. So, Jesus says, blessed or favored is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so Doing. Christianity is a, is a working religion. Now, it's not a works-based religion, like others are, but it is a working religion. That is, it is effective. It involves doing. Sometimes, uh, and, you know, somewhat understandable, but sometimes we have kind of a of an allergy to the word works there. <laughs> and, you know, and we don't want to, um, to misunderstand and think that we are justified in the sight of God by works. Because that is not the case. 
our justification is based upon the righteousness of Christ. Or, as R.F. Gates used to say, we, we are justified by works, but it is works of Christ, right? Not our own. So we don't want to misunderstand that. But at the same time, we don't want to misunderstand and think that the Christian life is totally passive. And that when, when Jesus says, watch and wait, that <clears throat> that looks like this. <laughs> or, or maybe, you know, even that we would uh, lay down and look at the back of our eyelids. Slumber, sleep. It's not passive. It's a working religion. We're always doing. Fascinating to me, by the way, that when one time when they accused Jesus of working on the Sabbath, He said, my Father works hitherto and I work. We're always working. And that's what He's instructed His slaves to do. Be doing what He said do. Be, be taking care of the household. Be good stewards with the truth. Be good stewards with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And happy or favored is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, verse 47, Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. That is, he's promising reward. For the faithful and wise servant, there's going to be reward. That servant is favored. And he's going to receive reward at the Master's coming. I say to you that he will put him over all of his goods. But if, and here's the contrast, verse 48, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my Master is delaying his coming. Now there it is. Jesus, Jesus slips that in there. This idea of delay. It's like now his, in his in his parable, in his analogy, the master is gone for a for a lengthy period, and that's so that um, one slave, who evidently up front appears to be a faithful slave, slave um, after a while says, "Well, you know what? My master is delaying. I've got time to goof off." So what does he do? Verse forty-nine. He begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. Interesting, isn't it, that in, in the example that Jesus is giving here, what He's doing is mistreating His household, His fellow slaves. And that's why, again, I, I think uh, what part of what's happening is this, this, again, is part of His indictment against the religion of the day. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the elders of Israel and all of the unbelieving Jews, where religion had, had become totally an outward activity. And there seemed to be no understanding that it was in truth a heart issue. That faithfulness to God plays out in this world practically through love for one another. So he says a, a faithful servant will be doing that. He'll be caring for his household, his people. But... The wicked servant, the evil slave, begins to beat his fellow servants. That is, he mistreats them and to eat and drink with the drunkards. Now, verse 50, the consequences, the master of that 
slave or servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. How do we know that? Well, he just explained that in verse 49. He's not looking for his master. He's mistreating his household. If he knew when he was coming, he would, he would get his act together. <laughs> and, you know, at least outwardly, he would try to have the appearance of a faithful slave. He doesn't want to be caught being unfaithful. But he comes at a time when he doesn't know that he's coming. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour that he is not aware of. And that's what Jesus is saying. Again, his main point is be looking. Be aware. Be ready. Watch. Stay on go. Because he's coming. And you don't know when he's coming. So be a faithful and wise servant. And there are consequences for the wicked servant. Verse 51. After verse 50 says, He will come in an hour that he is not aware. Verse 51 says, He will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, the pretenders. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, he had said earlier in chapter 24 that when he comes, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. That's interesting because that pretty much describes normal activity. But it seems to me that what Jesus is saying there is, is not that the, the things they were doing in particular were necessarily evil. Now, of course, here he, it is, mistreating the fellow slaves. But earlier, um, not so much that everything they're doing is necessarily evil. I mean, they're just carrying on normal life. But see, they've lost focus. They've become f- focused on the now. This age. And so they're going about normal activity with no sense that the Master is coming soon. And in Noah's day, it, it seems from the account we have that he preached for 120 years warning people of God's coming wrath. But they went on eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Living life as though it were going to go on forever. Now let's move into chapter 25 here with the parable of the ten virgins, which is going to it's going to come at this from a little different angle, but he's still driving on the same point. And as I said, we're going to see this all the way through chapter 25. Verse 1, chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now, in the previous illustration, you have uh, a faithful and wise slave set over against an evil slave. One doing the master's will faithfully living in obedience to the Master, anticipating His coming. Because He's always vigilant and doing what He's supposed to do, He's ready when the Master comes. And He's rewarded accordingly. And then, in contrast to that, the wicked servant who's mistreating the Master's household and thinking that you know he's not going to get caught. The Master's delaying. Well, in this parable, basically the same point is being made, but it's uh, in the form of wise... Virgins versus foolish 
virgins who are going out to meet the bridegroom. And they don't know at what hour exactly the bridegroom's coming. They know that he's coming. They're there to meet him. But they don't know when precisely he's going to come for them. Now, verse 2 says, Five of them were wise, five foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Uh, the oil, of course, is just to keep the lamps burning. Um, you know, today, it's, it's like if you were going to be gone for a while and um, didn't take your phone charger. <laughs> You've probably done that. I've, you know, you, and what's going to happen? Well, I mean, after a while, the battery's going to go dead and you don't have a phone anymore. Or, you know, maybe you're using a flashlight in the dark and if you don't have extra batteries, after a while, um, it goes dead and you're in the dark. Well, they, they have these lamps which, uh, probably like, uh, torches and they would bring the, the extra oil so that they could douse the, the the rag and keep the thing going. Well, five were wise and they brought extra oil. Why did they do that? Because they're prepared for a delay. They they don't know at what hour he's coming, so they're just they're just being prepared. That in fact is the key here. That's, that's what Jesus, the point that Jesus is making. Be prepared. Be ready. But the foolish virgins did not take any extra oil with them. Didn't, it says here, took no oil with them. Probably meaning extra oil. Or maybe they didn't take any at all. They just took off with their torches burning. and No oil to, uh, to keep it burning. And verse 5 says, But while the bridegroom was delayed, there it is. While the bridegroom was delayed. And I think, again, I think it's interesting that Jesus is, is doing that. He's letting the disciples know up front, Im, implicitly, that this isn't going to happen as quickly as you think. And it's a word for all of us. That the Lord's timing is not like ours. A day is as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years as a day, Peter says. In fact, Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 4 that there would be scoffers saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the creation, from the beginning of creation. Beloved, do not forget this, 2 Peter 3.8. Do not forget this one thing, that, the, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So by now, see, by the time Peter's writing his epistle, he's got some understanding about the delay. And that the promise of His coming is sure. It's, it's just not operating on... Our timetable. It's somewhat relative, if you will. In other words, when Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Well, what does that mean for us? 
I know when I was a kid and maybe my mom would leave me in the car. She goes in the grocery store and say, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Patience wasn't one of my strong points anyway. Still not. But uh, apparently her idea of a minute and my idea of a minute um, weren't quite the same, didn't quite mesh. Or, you know, maybe I'll ask Leslie, uh, how long till we eat? Oh, a couple minutes. <laughs> New Jersey had a different time thing than we do here, I think. That's, that's the conclusion I've come to. <laughs> so it's kind of somewhat relative, right? When, when Jesus, who is the eternal Word of God, is looking at all of time and history which He Himself has created, and He says, Behold, I come quickly. Well, I can't define for you precisely what that means, but I can tell you this. It means at least 2,000 years. <laughs> okay? It means at least that long. But, but on God's timing, He's coming quickly. He, he didn't lie. He didn't misrepresent anything. And Peter says, A day with a... The Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So Jesus is implicitly, He's making this known there, there's going to be a, a delay. So, verse 5 again, While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, I, I think that's somewhat like the reference to the days of Noah. In, in other words, they just pretty much did what was normal. Because he says they all slumbered. This is not, that's not an indictment. I mean, he's not saying, uh, you know what? They, they dozed off as a way of describing um, people who spiritually are dead or, or fall asleep spiritually. I, I think he's just saying they, they were just doing the normal thing. I mean, it's late. So they all slumbered and slept. That is, the wise virgins and the foolish virgins slumbered and slept. They didn't know when He was coming. It's interesting. So they're both doing what's normal. But, five of them are ready and five of them are not. Even though, from some outward appearance there, it... it, They're doing the same thing. They're waiting on the bridegroom. They're slumbering, sleeping. And yet, in the midst of that normal activity, some of them are ready and some of them are not. And so, at midnight, verse 6, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So, this is what they've been waiting on. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Now, let me, let me say this. There, there, there are some principles I think we can draw from here, obviously. But the main thing is... Jesus is saying, be prepared. You don't know when I'm coming. Be prepared. I, I don't think 
At least I, I don't understand the, the oil to have any special um, reference to anything here. I mean, you know, I've, 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 I know there, there are ideas out there, and I've heard, I've heard it preached different ways. Um, I, I think it's just a simple way of Jesus saying, be ready. Some of them had extra oil, some of them did not, meaning some of them were prepared, some of them were not. But I will say this, there does seem to be a principle we can take here from verse 8. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. I remember, you know, reading that uh, early on. In, in, you know, my walk with the Lord. And, and it just always kind of shocked me. That doesn't seem like they're abiding by Jesus' teaching that we know of in other places. Where's the sharing? <laughs> that, sounds, that, just, that just sounds, doesn't, that sounds kind of selfish, doesn't it? I'm not going to share my oil with you. Go buy your own. And they go to buy their own and they miss out. Why didn't, the, why didn't the five virgins who were prepared with extra oil just share? Share. And then we could have a, we could have a good um, lesson here about sharing. Now, I think the answer is because Jesus' whole point in this thing is that you, me, every, every individual that He's that is hearing this, you be prepared yourself. In other words, you can't go enter into the kingdom, join with the bridegroom, Christ. You can't go on somebody else's preparedness. It's a personal thing between you. Ultimately, it's a personal thing between you and the Lord. That doesn't mean that all of Christianity is, you know, is just me and Jesus. No. It's a very public thing. It's, it's a uh, community uh, relationship with other believers. But it, when it comes down to being saved and interacting with Jesus, there's got to be personal experience. I can't go to heaven because my mother was a Christian. I can't go to heaven because... A lot of people around me are Christians and because they love me. I can't go on their oil. I've got to have my own. I've got to have my own experience, my own relationship with the Lord. In other words, I have to be ready. And I look around and I see other Christians that are ready and I'm glad. I'm glad they're ready. But that doesn't mean I am and I can't go on their preparedness. I have to be ready. He's calling for everybody individually to watch. Matter of fact, he says that in Mark. Watch. And then he says, I say to all, watch. Be ready. So, they say, no, we, we, can't, we can't do that lest there not be enough for us and you. But here's what you do. Verse 9, go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. The problem is it's, it's too late at this point. When Jesus comes, when, when the judgment day is upon us, 
I, I, I assume that everybody at that point is going to know I needed God's grace in my life. I should have submitted to the Lordship of Christ. I should have not just been satisfied with outward religion and a profession of faith. I should have been obedient to Christ. Everybody's going to know that at that point. I assume. But the problem is, it's going to be too late at that point. You can't go back at that point. It'll be like Esau in tears saying, I wish I had my birthright. So that I can enjoy the blessings of it and the privileges of it. But it's too late then. In the parable, though, they, they tried anyway, didn't they? Verse 10, while they went to buy, they, they left. The bridegroom is coming. The call has gone out. This is it. Here he comes. Go to meeting. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, hear Jesus' words, those who were ready went in with Him to the wedding and the door was shut. Noah was the preacher of righteousness and he preached that judgment is coming. And isn't it amazing? I don't, I don't know how many people he interacted with and he actually got to talk to. I don't know. But I know how many people responded. Eight people, including himself. Eight people got on the ark. And just like we saw in chapter 24, when the flood came, Vince, it was too late. And everybody was swept away. The door was shut. There was no entering at that point. And you just kind of envision, it's not recorded, these details aren't recorded, but we just kind of envision, don't we, people at that point swimming up to the thing and beating on the side of it. But the door was shut. God had shut the door. And that's what Jesus is picturing here. Those who were ready went in with Him. And the door was shut. And afterward, other virgins came also saying, the other virgins, meaning the foolish ones. They came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Well, surely they knew Him, right? They're calling Him Lord. These are Christians, right? Well, at least in terms of profession. They're saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Open the door. Don't you know? Don't you know we've cast out demons in Your name? They... Jesus tells us in another place, don't you know we've done many wonderful things in your name? As a matter of fact, before I close here, let's look at that for just a moment. 
Look, go, go with me to Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 7, verse 21. Hold your place in uh, <clears throat> Matthew 25. But Matthew 7, verse 21. This is not a parable, by the way, in Matthew 7. <clears throat> Jesus is looking forward to the day of judgment. Same thing He's going to do in, the, in uh, Matthew 25 as we read on and give real details. Um, Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just, just read it in Matthew 25 in the parable. Lord, Lord, open to us. Here Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I want you to note that. You may want to underline it. He who does. He who does. He's talking about obedience there. He's talking about living. A living faith. It's a working religion. There's there's a... Not a passive watching that Jesus is calling us to, but a working and watching. In other words, that, that's how the watching plays out. We, we live for the glory of God. That's what it means to be ready. We live for the glory of God and for the benefit of one another. We're committed to glorifying the Lord. We're committed to loving each other. Look at what he says here. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. Well, who will then, Jesus? He who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's not the sayers, it's the doers. Verse 22, many will say, again, notice how he's drawing that contrast, saying and doing. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And by the way, that's their testimony of what they've done or allegedly done. Not Jesus' testimony. So, uh, I don't know that they did any of those things. But they thought they did. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Verse 23, Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, or the old King James says, uh, workers of iniquity or something to that effect. But the term iniquity there is lawless. Uh, no law. So, in other words, you live like there's no Law. So they were they were doers, but they were doing the wrong thing. They weren't doing the will of God. They weren't living in obedience to Christ. So there's a contrast here between those who do the will of God and those who do not do God's will. Who will enter? Verse twenty one. He who does the will of my Father in heaven. Who will not enter? Verse twenty three. You who practice lawlessness. 
You, you reject God's will and you live as if there is no law that you are obligated to. What Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 25 also. They came, the foolish virgins, found the door shut. And Jesus says in verse 12, Matthew 25, verse 12, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Virtually the same thing He said in Matthew 7 that He will say to the lawless ones on the day of judgment. I don't know you. You're calling me Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? So he says, Assuredly, I will say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13. Here it is again. This is what we're going to close with. Watch, therefore. Watch, therefore. That's just another way of saying be ready. Be ready. Be about the Father's business. Be good stewards over God's household. Feed the fellow slaves. That is, love one another. That's what we're here for. Be good stewards with the truth. Hear it, believe it, live it. Treat it like a treasure. Because it is. It's a a treasure that God has entrusted us with. Watch, therefore, verse 13... For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Again, chapter 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And again here, chapter 25, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. What's he saying? Be ready. Be ready. There's coming a day, as we see here, that the door is going to be shut. The day of grace comes to a close. So, that day's not here yet. A day's not here yet. Right now is the accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. And if you've got breath in your lungs and blood flowing through your veins, that day's not here yet. What I'm saying is, there's coming a time when it's going to be too late. But it's not now. It's not now. There's still time to repent. There's still time to submit to Jesus as Lord. There's still time to be ready. There's one way to be ready. That is to know Him as Lord and Savior. Trust in the atonement of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The righteousness of Christ to make you right before God.
trust in Him. Anything other than that is not being ready. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He's coming, you just don't know when, so be ready. Know Him. Would you stand please? We'll close with a word of prayer and dismiss. Um, this sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.